Coffee Drinkers. Part two. Wow. Okay. Gear and endorsements, part two. I made that last episode. If you haven't checked it out, go back to the last episode. Check it out. It's a bit of a long one. It's about 40 minutes, but well worth checking out. It will help this follow-up, this part two, make a lot more sense. And um, thank you for, for all the response, all the responses, should I say, emails, uh, messages all over the place, Telegram, um, Discord. It, it was great. And uh, amazingly, all positive. I was really, really hoping there'd be someone who had a completely different take on it and we could like you know go back and forth i'm i'm always a, a big fan of you know i'm i've got some opinions i i know what i know at least i think i know what i know um normally when i when i say something when i when i offer an opinion it's based upon experience and i try and as much as i can i try and zoom out and look at as much information as i can before i kind of form an opinion um but at the same time i'm also open to that information changing and therefore my opinion having to change on a on any given subject. So in the, a, 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 part, a tiny part of me was kind of hoping for that just a little bit because I was – it was just a, a, an interesting topic to get into and it was a little bit ranty and then it kind of took my foot off the loud pedal a little bit and got into sort of the crux of the, of the issue. And as a result, it was really all off the top of my head. It was just hit record. I'd gotten like two or three messages that day about this specific thing. And I was kind of thinking about it as I went to pick my daughter up and just like, okay, I'm going to get home, put my daughter to bed and then boom, I'm just going to hit record. And I did. So consequently, I went, you know, I got to certain points and I was about to make a point about something and then got totally sidetracked and went off on it in a whole other direction. So I've actually made a few notes because I know there are a few things that got a little bit cut off. Uh, information wise and thought wise in the last uh, in the last episode and then it was just good feedback from from all, from from a bunch of people from professionals uh from uh, amateurs from young old it was like a really great mix of people kind of checking in and chiming in and saying hey uh, for like i said for the most part it was all positive hey totally agree and then there were people who had extra things to add to that like their experiences so that was awesome to hear as well and from different perspectives as well from the player perspective from the uh, instrument builder perspective from the small company perspective the large company perspective and it it really the last couple of days um i sent a few a, a few text messages to to, um, to some close friends who are of of note, of status, shall we say, in the industry. Like really, I picked a few people who were super varied and it was a very diverse bunch of people, different musical backgrounds. They either played different instruments. I didn't just hit up a bunch of bass players um, or, or perhaps they work in A&R or they work in product development or they work um, in marketing or in artist relations. I, I spoke to... About a dozen people on the phone. I haven't spoken on the phone this much uh, in a, in a long time. It was nice to catch up with some friends I hadn't spoken to in a long time, and it was also cool, a little depressing <laughs> at times to have the conversation and just have it sort of almost just reconfirmed to me by people who are actually at companies like the ones I was talking about and saying that it is in a, the, the the business side of things and, and the endorsement side of things and artists artist relationships with companies are in a little bit of a sad state right now and um 
but also at the same time, people are looking for solutions. It wasn't all doom and gloom and oh, this shit sucks and I wish it was. You know, there was a certain amount of like get off my lawn and we're just old now. And we 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 were kind of nostalgic for the quote unquote old days when it was just sort of easy and and straightforward. There was a little bit of that, but there was also. Uh, signs of hope as well and and even if not a solution now the the at least the the search of a solution sometime in the not too distant future so really positive all around i i heard some bonkers absolutely bonkers stories um which were hilarious and 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 just eye-opening and i saw some numbers which were just like they make your balls drop. It just some of the things that are going on in the industry, uh, where money is changing hands and people are, um, they are getting something out of the whole artist uh, slash signature slash just the the relationship that an artist can have with a company. There are definitely people on the very high end. You know, we're talking about superstars here who are making obscene amounts of money and of course you know obscene amounts of money to someone like me i'm just you know regular dude bass player whatever musician i'm not i'm not joe satriani i'm not you know i'm not a millionaire i'm not selling millions of records i'm not selling out arenas around the world so it was also funny to see people who are super duper famous and obviously worth a lot of money and, and and continue to make a lot of money making what i consider to be obscene amounts of money but to them yeah you know cool <laughs> maybe they might donate it to charity or something like that kind of level. but anyway really kind of fascinating to 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 hear those stories for straight from the horse's mouth and hear some kind of rumored stories as well that i've heard from different places and different people that i consider to be reputable so you know what i can't do is like say names and say companies and go into the details because that's just not that's not cool and um not 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 very professional at all but i will say that i spoke to a really varied collection of musicians first of all that play all different instruments keyboards bass guitar drums you name it like those those are actually like the four big sort of you know with potential to to endorse in modern music i would say but perhaps the woodwind department or or the the brass department have a little less um of a profile in that world although don't get me wrong there are definitely artists out there who have who have their deals i think they're just a little fewer and further between than perhaps bass players or guitar players and then hearing about like stories of huge names changing companies and being lured away from one massive company to you know company x to company y because company y is maybe going to give them a better lick on the on the percentage they get on each signature model sold and there's a signing bonus and there's this and there's that and then i heard some stories which i think are actually more common knowledge and i I don't mind talking about those because i will say these are not confirmed uh at all but they actually seem kind of plausible when you like someone like a buddy rich way back in the day we're talking like 50 years ago who who may potentially see you know uh, uh, bonuses at the end of the year from a drum company and maybe the tens of thousands of dollars and sort of lavish gifts and stuff because it was a totally different time and and sort of the heyday of that of that world and there are also a ton of people that I, I know in the industry that I haven't gotten to talk to yet. And I'm thinking that it would actually make for some, you know, if I know a couple of people who wouldn't mind talking about it in detail because they can and they can talk about it with authority and they have permission to. It would actually make some for some quite interesting interviews for really for the information to come directly from their mouth to your ears. So that's kind of 
you know, percolating away in the back of my mind to do a couple of interviews on the podcast with people about this. I don't want to make it the, the rest of my life talking about endorsements and gear, but I do want to fill in some of the details that I missed out in the last episode. Um, and we're going to do that. Before we do, I just want to one more quick plug for the uh, for the tour dates coming up in August. Um, August 22nd, we're going to be in London at the Pizza Express in Soho. August 23rd, Manchester, Stoller Hall. That one is selling slow. I don't know what's going on in Manchester. Normally, I have amazing crowds in Manchester. I actually thought the, the, the hall we picked was going to be on the smaller side, but t- sales have been a little slow. I don't know what's going on there, especially with all the music scores. I know I've been up there and done clinics before. I've always had great turnouts. I know there's... Um, uh, Ron Northern College of Music. I know Leeds isn't that far away. Even Liverpool's not that far away. There's a BIMM in Manchester, I think. Um, so if you are in Manchester, don't forget we are playing. Grab your ticket now. All the tickets are linked on my website, yannickwasdala.com. And we really got to work on moving some tickets in Manchester. Um, didn't see that one coming, but let's... Um, just going to get my get my head down and, and make it happen. And then we next day we go 25th, no, 24th, sorry, off to Monaco, Le Note Bleu. Uh, the 25th is in Helsinki in Finland. And the 26th is the Rhythm Festival in Viliandi, Estonia. Again, all tickets are at my at my website, right on the front page, right on the homepage, yannickwizdala.com. Let's get into the things that I want to catch up on and, and kind of expand upon uh, that I sort of maybe got sidetracked or glossed over a little bit um i know i remember in the end of the episode i got to the point where i was going to start talking about the kind of gear we use and how it works like is it a thing you use all the time is it your main instrument is it your main amp is it your main string company for instance those are three things that come to mind that you might potentially use from one company on each thing really all the time or at least most of the time or is it something that's a little rare is it something that you know is it an envelope filter pedal from a maybe an incredible company but something you don't necessarily use on every single uh, gig you do or every single time you play in the studio so there's definitely a kind of a sliding scale of how that all works as well you know I think for me, at least, I can speak from the experience of I've tended to with those three big ticket items, for instance, strings, uh, amps and basses. I've, I've always been associated with one company at a time. Uh, I haven't been with like 10 different companies on each uh, on each thing, but I've always been I, I was for a long time heavily associated with Federa. Uh, that, that was something that lasted around 17 years. So that was a really long relationship. Um, that's a whole other episode about why that came to an end but it's it, it definitely is ah, it's one that's one i want to talk about at some point okay i'm not going to get sidetracked again i refuse to get sidetracked again i'm going to stay on message here so yeah i was really associated with federa left and went to Matheson, which lasted for a few years but the, the the goals we set didn't really work out but at the same time i wasn't you know i wasn't talking to 20 different base companies i i made a choice and you know, embarked on a project with that company uh, to to build a signature instrument, to build something that was I thought was going to be with me for the rest of my life, and also to try and make um, something that was way more affordable than the Federa. Related to this, I'm not getting. I promise you, I'm not getting sidetracked. Related to this, where you are perhaps looking at an, an instrument or a piece of gear that you use really all the time, and you have a deal with a company, you have a relationship with a company. Related to that is the sort of percentage you might possibly make, you might be able to write into your deal or your contract, uh, the percentage of uh, that you might be able to make a, as a royalty on net sales, on, on, on profit. So 
with Federa, that was like one of the one of the big things was number one, the base was super expensive. You know, my signature model listed somewhere around the fifteen thousand dollar mark. Now, I don't mind sharing numbers and figures for myself because I, I I really don't care. I'm not. It, that, that's fine. I, I, you know, I'm not going to share friends' numbers and people that I spoke to the last couple of days. Absolutely not. But I don't mind sharing with you that my deal with Federa, for instance, was 10% on sales. So, if, you know, if you think about selling a base that's fifteen thousand dollars, you do the math. It's pretty simple. It's not actually a bad deal when it comes to getting that royalty check. The only trouble is that in 17 years now, don't let's not get it twisted. I didn't have a signature instrument for that entire time. Uh, but in the 17 years I was with them and for the however many years I had that signature base, I think maybe, maybe eight or nine instruments got sold. So it wasn't like, you know, I'm not like, uh, let's think, I'm just going to think like massive global superstar shredder, Steve Vai, Satriani, Petrucci, uh, Engve, uh, Tosin, like those kind of the new wave, Pliny, Tosin, uh, I, I'm missing a bunch of people. But when you think about those people who are really, and maybe not Tosin because he has his own company, but when you think about Vi, Satriani, Pe- uh, Petrucci, those guys are, are shifting like serious, serious units. Um, I have no idea what their, uh, well, actually, I do actually know what their percentage is. I'm not going to share it with you, but they are shifting tons of units and it is a great source of income on the side so i just want to make that comparison you know like yes i have had maybe even a slightly higher percentage rate than some people and let's say like i'm I'm happy to share that my percentage on the federa was 10 percent, but i also know people who are in the three four five percent range as well and it's a kind of sliding scale uh somewhere in that zone for most people i think um Again, I'm not 100% sure about everyone. I know about a few people and, of course, I know about, about myself. So it was never uh, a, a kind of a retirement plan, let's say, and it was never something that was in, insanely lucrative when you consider the number of years that it it was in existence for. And also it was one of the things that, you know, I, I wanted to make something that was more affordable. I was kind of burnt out on people saying, man, I love your bass and I, I really, I'd love to play it, but also I got to buy a car this year. So, you know, when you're talking about buying a car or a bass, the bass is, okay, it, it, I'm not going to say it's not worth it, but, you know, it, maybe it's worth it to, to, to uh, maybe a very few people and not, not, not so, you know, it's not accessible to, even to a lot of musicians who could actually really do with a with a great quality instrument so anyway that was why i went to madison and and tried working on those instruments and to do a limited run of still pretty expensive bases a limited run of master built hand built and then the the plan was to do some cnc ones that that brought the the overall cost down and made it more accessible for people unfortunately the project didn't come to fruition and um, i actually have an f base on the way i guess that's quite a that's a potentially maybe potentially interesting part of this whole thing when we're talking about instruments you use all the time as well in the um I, when i spoke to the, I, you know i'll share my my details about f-base as well when i spoke to them um you know i've known them for a while obviously running into them at the nam show and of course the fact that chelsea plays an f-base and i've actually i actually went with chelsea to uh hamilton to, to, to in, in canada where their workshop is and hung out with her while she was like trying a bunch of bases and specking something out when she's having her instrument built, of course, I, I played a bunch of instruments while I was there. The 
the guys they, they like couldn't be nicer people they're obviously master craftsmen i don't think whether you like the instrument or not or whether the instrument suits what you do i think f bass um are, are master craftsmen they're masters at what they do and i think that's well kind of well agreed upon and and understood in in, in the in the world of basses so i've kind of been knowing those guys for quite a while you know in passing in the beginning and then a little bit more um a little bit more closely like going out there and visiting the factory and hanging out with them and going out for dinner and like you know hanging with chelsea while she picked out her her, her specs for her bass and then when it kind of came to be that the Madison thing wasn't working out I was looking around and, and I looked at a lot of I, actually I couldn't believe how many base builders there were out there holy cow um, looked at a lot of people and just remembered some positive things about about the F-Base stuff and about being out there with Chelsea so I, I hopped on a plane last year and just went out there literally for the day arrived in the morning ran over to Hamilton like drove to Hamilton from Toronto and and played a bunch of instruments talked to Marcel and George a bunch and specked out an instrument and it's actually arriving what are we Tuesday I think it's arriving Thursday Friday this week so I will actually be able to bring you some sound clips of that but to the point of the endorsement thing um I actually said to them you know I, I kind of told them the story that I've just told you roughly maybe with some little more details and stuff but uh, about the signature instruments and the thing not working out with Matheson, I said, actually, um, I, I'm looking to buy an instrument. Like, I'm not looking to to have a signature instrument and go into that whole process again. I kind of want the option to be independent from any company. So this is sort of me going full circle, going maybe with, like, the number one builder in the world, I, I guess, at least the fanciest one for uh, on paper. At least that's how I felt at the time with Federa. And it was, don't get me wrong, it was great for a lot of years. And I love those guys. And Vinny and, and Joey are just amazing. And Vadim and just all the cats that I got to know and love there. Awesome bunch of people. Um, that's like, like with, like I said on the last episode, it's always the 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 loss of the relationship with the people that is harder to deal with than not using that piece of gear anymore there's always way more of an emotional and personal thing on the relationship side that when you lose that it's like you know breaking up with a with a partner or something or it's it's a drag you know and um that that that's always stayed with me throughout most of those good relationships that i've had with companies so yeah i've kind of come full circle with the instrument that i'm planning on playing being my main instrument and playing it all the time and we'll see it's um it's kind of like i'm buying the instrument but it's also kind of like they're they're, they're super cool about like listening to what i wanted and we're trying a couple of things that they don't normally do in a bass and they're trying some some couple of things especially for me because my specifications are quite uh it's horrible to use specifications and specific in the same sentence but i am quite specific in what i want in the instrument and they're very very accommodating and i i have the option to kind of go back and forth with them once i play it and if i need some things adjusting they will so i I don't have like uh uh the the thing where they're like just throwing free gear at me at all um but but i do have a, a relationship that i think is really healthy and really positive in terms of actually getting the right instrument and, and getting to the getting to the point, you know, keeping things moving. So, okay, I feel like I'm getting a little bit off track here, but we're still kind of staying in that lane of instruments you use all the time. And that's kind of my arc. I've been in three kind of different places, the three sort of possibly main categories you could find yourself in. 
uh, endorsement with big company, like endorsing a big company rather, and then having signature instrument with massive company, moving from that company to a smaller company to do a smaller project and, you know, not that not working out and now going to F-Base, actually buying the instrument, but still having a really great working relationship with the people there. So, yeah, that's that's kind of through my lens, you know, through my experience of what's gone on with that. And then with the amps, I, I, I talked a little bit about Fender and TC Electronic um, and with strings with Diodario and Jim Dunlop in the last episode. But there is that thing of you kind of at that point in your career when you're with that company for for a thing that you use so much it is it tends to be at least it's not always but it tends to be more of an exclusive thing um and i think there are probably exceptions to that on a on a really high level as well like i'm sure um you know I haven't actually tried one of his bases yet, but I really want to. The, the Sean Hurley um, custom shop, or well, I don't know what it is actually, but I know it's a Fender, it's a signature model, it's a Sean Hurley model. I've heard nothing but great things about it. And if Sean is behind it, it it's got to be great because he, <laughs> he's one of the few guys who really fucking knows what he's doing when it comes to recording the instrument and uh, and having the, the right tool for the job. But I'm also pretty sure, I think I, I don't think I'd lose any money on a bet if I bet that he doesn't only use that bass like 100% of the time um, and also probably isn't afraid to say that either. You know, if there's a if there's a thing that needs a Gibson grabber or a Rickenbacker or something and it's stylistically appropriate and he feels he's most comfortable playing that instrument, then I'm sure he will. Um, and that's a super high-profile company, maybe the biggest instrument company in the world that to have a signature instrument with. And also Sean is a massively high-profile musician uh, and yet isn't like isn't banished from playing other instruments. So it's a it's a, a sliding scale and it's a little bit different for everyone's situation in in the instruments and the pieces of gear like strings and, and amps um, that we use all the time. And then the other stuff is is really, really random. It can go from the most amazing coincidences and meeting someone and getting a, a piece of gear that is just phenomenal and you fall in love with and uh, but but you still you don't use it all the time yet the company is cool enough to actually give it to you but they're not paying you to play it and uh, and you know you 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 have a connection to the thing that you feel you know compelled like you actually want to not because you have to but you you want to like make videos about it and and share things about it and companies are shrewd like that they know that if they have something that really suits who you are and what you do then it uh it makes sense for them to try and get it in your hands and not even ask you to, uh, to to make content with it. You know, if they're if they're confident about their shit, they'll send it to you for free, and and it will, you know, it will um, it will kind of unfold on its own as it should do. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's those two worlds that I didn't talk about that much last time, um, but they are things to consider when it comes to endorsing gear and how that works. And you'll see artists' websites where they list like 80 different companies that they endorse. And you're like, well, holy shit, like, what are, you, what are you actually using here? Or you'll see Wikipedia pages with famous like guitar players and drummers that list all the gear they play. And it's like, well, actually, this guy plays just Yamaha recording custom drums. That's it, basically. But there are like 25 different things that he played on different records or she played on different records and on a Wikipedia page. So th- those are all things to bear in mind when you see that information out there. And when you see a person showing up uh, 
you know, in, in videos and, and in media and in press for different companies, just understand how that, how that all works. And they might not be using that one thing all the time. And then there are some, like, so there have always been crazy rumors about people, <laughs> legends, we're talking legends, old school, ruthless, potentially without a moral compass, sometimes legends of instruments, you know, drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, you name it. Um, there are people that are probably guilty on every instrument, but the last few days talking to super old friends and people I know and trust, and I know they're not bullshitting me, and I, I know, like, I've, it's it, it, and some of these occasions I've actually been there witnessing this shit, but some of these like slightly older legends that are 10, 15 years older than me hearing stories about them and, you know, legend X rocking up to company X with a freaking van, empty van, like white panel van and just like getting the company to give them a bunch of gear, loading the, filling the van up to the brim and then driving away and selling it all like within a week, like just ruthless stories like that. And also like, companies that are shrewd as well that they they understand what's going on and they kind of pay attention to oh we gave this person this item and that item is now on ebay and oh that item is now sold for twice what the list price was mm, okay and and companies will 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 just end a relationship over that stuff so you have to be kind of careful and a lot of people bounce around companies especially when there are signing bonuses to be had you know we're talking about bigger musicians here and potentially bigger companies as well but i've known some smaller companies get screwed over uh by musicians asking for like outrageous demands because they're going to come and play this small company's gear small company thinks oh wow this is really gonna crank up our sales and then six months later said artist has pocketed the money taken the gear sold it and moved on you know so it's it's there are some weird things going on behind the scenes and um I really wish I could name names and talk companies and be specific. Maybe I'll like, what I really want to do with all this information is like write a book and just, you know, have it on to auto publish after I'm gone or something and just let it all out there. Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's also kind of sad and it's, it's morally wrong. And as much as I, I'm kind of morbidly fascinated about it uh, on some level. I'm also like, holy shit. I, I I would hate that. I would hate to be talked about like that in 50 or a hundred years. Like, Oh yeah. I remember Guzdala, man, he took all these, like, I don't know. What do I play? He took all of these line six pedals or he took all, uh, uh, I'm looking around. What the fuck? He took all these strings and then just like, he was selling them on eBay or, you know, selling them under the, t- like, come on, man. Maybe because the the internet and everyone knows everything now. Like it, maybe people think about that a little more, and they realize that you just can't get away with that shit. Maybe it was just because communication was so lax back in the day. Like how would company X find out if artist Y sold uh, a keyboard or a drum set or a guitar or a bass, you know, privately somewhere five thousand a thousand miles away from where they where they received the gear out of the factory i mean it's like totally different climate so anyway i feel like i'm getting too long on the subject but pretty pretty fascinating um nonetheless i've actually written notes here um there, there were some questions that came in about uh asking about well how you know if, if an artist is getting paid by a company to play 
the gear? How is that not the company endorsing the artist? Well, again, I need to reiterate the phrase. The artist endorses the company. The company does not endorse the artist. Yes, they may well uh, money may well change hands in the direction from the company to the artist, but that all that is doing is securing the artist as someone who will be the spokesperson and be the endorser of the product they are playing of that company. You can take any uh, massive, you know, let's take a really famous uh, deal in sports, for instance. Let's take like a, a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan with his with his sneakers, you know, the 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 the, the Nike sneakers, or, or at, same with Tiger Woods at Nike, Jerry Rice at Nike, Andre Agassi at Nike, uh, 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 Roger Federer at Nike. Hey, Nike's done a lot of good deals. They also did a deal allegedly. Uh, we know about all those legends, but allegedly the, the, the same thing is happening now. Allegedly, they just did a deal with a new young tennis player called Carlos Alcaraz, and it is rumored to be on some like, you know, major league baseball signing kind of like insane numbers of millions of dollars for a kid who's 19. And he's been pro for like five minutes. You know, he's amazing. I think he's going to be a legend, maybe the greatest of all time if he can stay uh, uninjured but yeah that that is happening but nike are not endorsing him they are giving him support of course money's going to go a long way to paying a coach and travel and accommodation and all those things you need just the same as a company can support an artist uh, when they go on tour and they can help them out with gear and you know they can take care of cartage from the backline company to get the gear to and from a gig in in a weird place you might be playing um so, yeah, it doesn't mean the company is endorsing the artist supporting. Yes, that's part of the relationship. But if a company helps me out with an amplifier in London for the first show of my tour, for instance, that company's not like saying how much they love me to the public and, and helping me out with my career. No, I'm actually saying to the public and everyone who comes to the show and sees me playing the gear that actually, hey, this is the gear I play. This is the gear I respect. This is the gear I think is right for what I'm doing. And if you like that, then perhaps it's a good fit for you. So just wanted to define that. And uh, yes, money changes hands. No, the concept doesn't change. The artist endorses the company. The company does not endorse the artist and talking about that that was another great thing that came up uh, in terms of the size of companies and how much or how little they are able to offer in terms of support to artists and at the same time how crazy it is i heard this from some big companies uh, last couple of days talking to people how often companies will get hit up for gear from some new guitar player bass player drummer keyboard player whatever because they have a gig. Um, and, you know, I said in the last episode um, something along the lines of, yeah, okay, if you have a big gig, you should be able to go to a company and make a deal and get the gear for free. It was a little kind of flippant, actually. I didn't really think that process out. I didn't define what a big gig was. I'm talking about the Rolling Stones, okay? I'm not talking about, well, I'm not talking about what I'm about to explain now. So if you are, uh, uh, like Mrs. Hot bass player fresh out of Berkeley and you've just got the gig with whoever, doesn't matter, faceless, nameless, new artist, but you are going and playing at arenas. 
Like you are opening for a bigger band. And I've been there. I've been this person. I've been this one of three situation on, on a lot of arena tours in the US. I did this with Maroon 5, for instance. Uh, sometimes we were one of three. Sometimes we were one of two. So when you're one of two, and what I mean by that is one of three bands that play that night. Obviously, you've got the headliner for it. Let's take the tour I did with Maroon 5. This is a long time ago. But uh, maybe when was it? 2010. We did a couple of months with them, arenas uh, and uh, amphitheaters, whatever. And they're obviously the headliner. M5 is the headliner. And then you've got a bigger name than, than the band, I, than the artist I was playing with in the middle. And then you've got the one of three, first of three. That was us uh, for, for a bunch of shows on that tour. And sometimes it was nice. It was just the two of us. It was us and, and Maroon 5. And we got to play for bigger audiences. Then more people in the, in the, in the stadium or the, the, the arena or the amphitheater or whatever. Pretty cool. Um, it was just cool anyway because everyone was like super nice and I enjoyed the music I was playing. So there was there were all those kind of side benefits as well. But if you are in that one of three situation, number one, you're playing at seven o'clock. It's still light outside. The arena's maybe a third full if you're lucky. You're not playing the gear in front of enough people that a company cares to send you a whole bunch of stuff. Unless you have a really tight relationship with them already. And I got to say... When I did that tour, I was in that one of three situation a bunch on that Maroon Five um, run, uh, but I was it was already 2010, so I was already 32, and for the most part that year we were kind of headlining tours, and the record label put us on that Maroon Five tour to help the uh, our artists' uh, coverage in the U.S. So that wasn't like a beginning of the career gig for me, and at the time I think I was with TC Electronics still. They were super cool and they like crated up my whole rig, big, like big venue rig and sent it out on the tour for me. So there, there are instances when you can already have a relationship in place and you find yourself in a one of three, first of three situation on a tour like that and you can get the gear. But for the most part, if you're just starting out, if you're like early 20s, unless you're super lucky, especially now, like it has changed. Do not get me wrong. When I was in my early 20s, it was not like it is now. There was more money. There was just more. There was more of everything in that world. Um, so it was a little easier to make some shit happen. And luckily, I did. Um, and I'm very fortunate and I'm very thankful that I got to experience that at the time. But right now, if you are with a new artist, even on a big label, you're out one of three, the chances are a big company is going to turn you down. Like They're not going to crate up a rig and rocket cargo that shit to wherever you're starting the tour, Minneapolis or some shit, and then fly it home from, I don't know, Boise, Idaho, when you've toured the country for three months and played 70 shows and beat the shit out of the gear. Like They're probably just going to say no because they'll get more coverage now out of someone who's willing, who's good at making a, a YouTube video about that shit. Um and the irony is the people who are at home making a YouTube video of it don't need a big touring rig. And it, that kind of speaks to a little bit that quandary you find yourself in as a young musician where you need strings, you need basses, you need amp, you actually need the gear and you can't afford it. And then you go through life and slowly, or if you you know, stay being a musician and you're anywhere moderately successful, you go through life, you make more money. And by the time you don't really need the gear and by the time you can really afford it to really get whatever you want, that's when the companies are interested in like throwing some stuff at you and maybe having you be the face of their thing. So there's 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 always that going on. I think that that's true today as it, as it ever was. 
But also, I think younger musicians now have the option to just be quote unquote influencers or content creators, which is something I fucking hate because it has nothing to do with music at the end of the day. And I think that's a big thing, a big direction, uh, and a kind of a consensus with a lot of people I spoke to the last couple of days that it has taken a turn. Uh, for the different I was going to say the worst I don't know I think it is a term for the worst to be honest because it used to really be as much as a company was trying to sell gear there was some semblance of music involved in the process of marketing and it, it was normally centered around a musician who could really play and a musician who had something original to say more often than not so you know there's a reason all the big drum people you know, back in the day with the Weckles and the Colliutas and the, you know, Bizonettes and the Steve Gads and Simon Phillips, you know, they were all huge. They were all original as well and they were all great musicians. Still are, of course. Um, it was just such a different dynamic then. Um, and obviously, you can't be the just a get off my lawn guy forever and like refusing to admit electricity has been invented and wishing for times uh, gone by to be back again. So, you, you kind of got to adapt or kind of like I'm doing right now, potentially just getting out of the, getting off the, off out of the rat race of doing that whole signature endorsement thing. Um, having said that now the F base will come 50 people will love it. They'll call F bases. Hey man, we want to get exactly the same specs and we'll be in freaking talks for a signature base. I don't know. It's I, there's that is floating in the back of my head as well. If it's actually a ridiculous instrument, which I kind of, for me, it's going to be amazing. I just also feel like potentially there are going to be a few people that are like, oh, that is not a bad idea. Might want to have a piece of that. So, yeah, I'm sure it's going to continue to change for me no matter what I think I'm doing right now. So always, always on the move. Um, let's see. I got other. I have other, other, other notes here. Um, yeah, to speak to that a little bit as well, like even huge artists like Flea, who I believe is even playing Ampeg now on this latest stadium tour. And he's playing to stadiums. Let's say that again. Stadiums. 50, 60, 70,000 people a night, every night. And that's not really selling gear. Like those fans don't give a shit. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers don't care what the bass amp is. You could put a put a sheet over it and it wouldn't make any difference to the to the crowd. So it's a, it's a weird old world when it comes to the balance of artist profile company marketing uh the the way the person is touring or recording or presenting themselves as an artist really um really kind of fascinating um and yeah like a lot of um a lot of uh companies that i've that i've been in touch with and a, a lot of companies that have reached out to me a lot of uh it's been not not basses and, and amps, but more pedals and stuff. I guess I'm a little bit more known for doing pedal content. God, I hate that word. Um, in the not-too-distant past, and I had that series of, of videos on YouTube called The Pedal Studio. Of course, I have the big-ass collection here. So I have been approached by a lot of pedal companies, a lot of budget pedal companies, actually, which I just – some of them I just delete the emails because it's just great. It's just – I do get them all the time. And, they, I'm again, I'm amazed there are that many companies making – the knockoff of the exact same thing. Uh, a lot of Chinese companies get in touch with me and it's just a no from the get go. I just know the stuff isn't, most of it isn't any good and I'm never, never going to get behind it or endorse the product. And I definitely don't want to be paid to make a video that I'm, you know, that is total bullshit. I'll always, I'll always be honest about that. Um, now there are a lot of, that actually brings us nicely into the next thing when it comes to gear and when it comes to the way, 
gear is presented to us, to you, to me, what we see on the tube, uh, yeah, YouTube, sorry, not the London Underground, the, what we see on YouTube is, is pretty fascinating how fucked up it is, I got to say. And I think a lot of people don't realize how many of these very prominent channels get paid to make these videos. Um, got to take a sip. That normally signifies the podcast has been long. Oh, we're going almost as long as last time. Okay, maybe this will be my last point. Um, but it's a it's a it's an interesting one because I don't think people realize that a lot of your uh, favorite channels that make you know pretty polished and uh, efficient, um, positive. <laughs> that's the other thing. That's the sad thing is that they that they make these super hey this is great kind of video and. They don't tell you that they're being paid for that shit. You know, it's maybe they throw up the little this is a paid promotion thing on on YouTube, but that could mean anything. Like if I'm given a piece of gear and I choose and without any strings attached and I choose to make a video about it, like I have to put that legally, I have to put that paid promotion thing on on youtube but it doesn't mean i got paid it doesn't mean i got sent a script um it just means that i did get this piece of gear for free and i always almost always unless i really forget and i fuck up but i almost always and i definitely always want to my intent is to make it very clear that you know my line is like i just make like making cool videos about cool things that's basically what i say in in most of those pedal videos and it's true when i find something i like the sound of or something that really helps me uh as a musician i I'm all about sharing the love and and telling other people about it because I think um, hopefully I've built up enough trust that you know it's an unbiased opinion or it's an un um, it's an uncontrolled opinion. It's not controlled by a company, um, and you'd be amazed. Again, I'm not going to like call people out and name names, but I just want you to be really aware. Like, do some research into this stuff and and, and really look at what's behind some of these big channels with you know sometimes hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers and t- millions of views and you know playing the algorithm game and like i said very prominent these are people that show up in your instagram feed in your youtube feeds all the time stuff i guarantee if you're a bass player for instance you've seen i think it happens on in every uh every category of instrument um I just know more about the, the, the bass player stuff because I'm more involved in that. And uh, it's pretty crazy, people charging um, for reviews and, and not being honest about that. That's that's a bit of a drag. Because at the end of the day, like you, you, like I want you to be informed. If ever I make something, I want to be super honest about it. And, you know, the point of last episode and this episode is to try and help you um, – help you do better help you gain like help you succeed help you uh consume um with awareness i guess is is probably where, where this is at and and just make informed decisions for yourself about what you're seeing what you're hearing um and how how this whole world of gear works and and it, yeah i will end with this because i think the the overall the, the thing that amazes me most overall is that at least as I see it right now, the music business uh, has has become solely about selling gear. And I think companies are, like I said before, like a lot of companies like just don't have their social media shit together. Um, ironically, some of them don't need to, but they think they need to and they work 
too hard at it in the wrong direction and it does nothing for them. Um, whereas if they actually just did something original and musical, um, it would it would gain attention and momentum on its own. So I think some big companies are trying too hard in the wrong lane. Um, but what most, I won't say everyone, uh, but what most people seem to be doing, what most people seem to care about is having the biggest, loudest, brightest, wackiest, weirdest roster of not not musicians anymore, but of content creators. There's a like as soon as as I think when when music became content creation, then art really took a turn for the worst. I think it really kind of died died of death right there um in this world in this world of what people see and how gear is presented and how artists are presented by companies uh to do with gear and there are a very very small handful of people doing incredibly musical and original things and they get very little coverage because that doesn't get clicks and likes and subs and follows and, and on comments and all the rest of it it doesn't feed the algorithm because it, it's it's stuff that people have to think about. And when you have to think about something, then the three-second attention span that is required to adhere to the Instagram or any algorithm basically these days uh, goes out the window. Like you can't you can't compete if you if your thing takes more than three seconds to think about um, or if you make an audience think. You have to compete in a different way and, and with a much smaller audience, I think, and more at the fringes than the center. And I think the the gear industry has melded with the with the with the music side of things and kind of overshadowed that and is way in the center like nobody's really at the edge or at the fringe um which of course is is, is human nature right for the most part most people are in the center it's just amazing with something as diverse a, a, as an art form as music that the center is getting really, really overpopulated. Whereas I think before maybe that curve was a little flatter and you could exist in, in way more places on the, on the, on the curve than, than you can now and, and still be original. And I think the originality is really like maybe pushed to the edges and those audiences, audiences have diminished to perhaps the smallest they have ever been. Um, which I, you know, I have, I have, as a musician, I have uh, no problem with personally for what I do, um, because I love what I do, and I know where my audience is. I know how to affect my audience. I know that my audience are are, are comprised of people who are extraordinary people, and I strive to make extraordinary art for extraordinary people. I don't. My, my goal is not to make average things for average people so this is a great challenge it's a, a, a an immense motivator um and it's what keeps me going you know it's really like that's where my focus is and whether that is with my books or with, with the education stuff or whether that is the stuff i'm doing live with with the albums and with my new trio specifically um all, all of that is with the intent of trying to make something extraordinary for the extraordinary people i know that are out there for those people that have the attention span for all of you that listen to 40 something minutes of this podcast already like that is extraordinary that is something that anyone in my position needs to especially in this day and age but i think always but especially in this day and age needs to 
take a moment and say, you know, I appreciate, and I do, I appreciate you taking what is the, 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 the most precious commodity you have, which is time, and choosing to spend that with me uh, right now with the podcast. Whether you're out on a run, Steve, um, <laughs> or maybe that'll freak someone out. If uh, I mean, Steve knows who Steve is, and I know that Steve listens to the podcast sometimes on a run, so maybe that freaks Steve out a little bit. Sorry, uh, sorry, not sorry, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It, it you know, your time is, is the most precious commodity you have. Our time is, and the fact that you chose to spend this much of it with me on this podcast is fucking massive. And that is not something I I take uh, for granted and not something that goes unnoticed. So with that in mind, uh, I hope we got to some more detail here in in this episode and cleared up a few things that I think I veered off and missed in the last one because it was without notes. It was without preparation. It was just off the top of the head. And uh, we're going to move on to some other more music-related stuff. It's going to be gear a little bit because of the new bass coming this week. I'm sure there's going to be something around that. I was looking at all of the basses in my racks here in the studio and thinking, oh, I should probably maybe like play all of these one after the other and sort of let you know what they hear uh, what they hear like. Oh, wow. I am tired. What, let you know what they sound like. And, and, and I want to do an episode about that and, and what my mindset was when I was getting these instruments and what I use them for and all the stuff that you don't see that isn't Instagrammable or realable. You know, all the stuff that doesn't fit into a 90 second box, that stuff that takes thought and takes time and takes engagement, like real engagement, not algorithmic engagement. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you all. Don't forget tour dates, yannickwasdala.com, August 22nd through the 26th, London. Big push for Manchester. Anyone out there, anyone who knows someone in Manchester, if there's a Manchester Facebook base group, get on it. Uh, drop the drop the link in there. There's no There are no shortage of posters I've made for it and links to the tickets. Uh, we're doing the VIP meet and greet with the um, open sound check and the Q&A, which I'm really excited about. That's why I was like super psyched that we had a bunch of tickets for that available and that we would have a big crowd for the sound check and really get to talk to some people. Um, you know, I... I I hold out great hope that that is still a thing and that we can be sold out uh, by August 23rd. Then we're down to Monaco. We're in Helsinki and Viliandi in Estonia for this first run. Um, appreciate you all. See you on the, uh, well, talk to you rather on the next episode. Mm-hmm.